Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I interview a philosopher-turned-apologist, Mark Coppinger. Morning, Mark. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Good. Well, Mark, before we get going, uh, would you mind giving us just a brief background as to who you are, just your you know basic life background? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I've been a PK and a TK. A TK is a teacher's kid. Uh, all my life, my dad uh, taught at a Christian school. So he taught at uh, uh, Carson Newman in Belmont in uh, Tennessee, and then one called Washita in Arkansas. Starts with an O, sounds like a W, <laughs> but it's, it's an O. So I was raised in that, but he was also um, a preacher, and he has been a full-time pastor, but he was doing supply preaching on weekends, but I heard my daddy preach, and then I majored in his in his major at college. Uh, he taught Bible and things like this. He had a doctorate in church history from Edinburgh, but he also was drafted to teach philosophy, and I majored in philosophy, and then went to Vanderbilt and got the PhD in philosophy. And taught there, and then I taught at Wheaton College, way up. I became a Yankee, so I was up in the Chicago area for a number of years uh, teaching at Wheaton. And then God called me to be a minister, and that was quite a interesting thing. I thought, man, I don't want to do that. That's just like being a pet squirrel or something. Philosophers are so, you know, just so cool, and 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 I enjoyed it, and I, uh, I appreciated it. But I said, yep, and so we. Uh, pulled up stakes, took our boys down to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and I got the MDiv, and then I pastored in Arkansas for five years, and then I became a denominational serpent, servant for the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, down the way, I, uh, uh, and by the way, I was an ROTC product, uh, so <laughs> I, I was doing Army stuff on the side and did that for 28 years, but anyway, I... Um, uh, ended up uh, later on doing things that I'd been, in, uh, I guess, encouraging people to do is plant churches. So I became a mm-hmm. church planter in Evanston, Illinois, on the North Shore of Chicago. Did that for 11 years. And um, then, uh, and, and by the way, along the way, I taught at uh, seminaries too, uh, Midwestern and Southern Seminary. And uh, I'm planning a church, a church up in Evanston. I'm a student ministry guy at Northwestern University, yeah. one of the Big Ten schools. And then I was asked to lead all of the uh, extensions for Southern Seminary. So I came down to uh, Nashville and was working with that and then retired from Southern in 2019, retired from the Army in 96. And so we're down here. My son's my pastor. I've got another son overseas uh, doing work, and I've got a daughter in D.C. And we're just uh, cooking right along, doing yeah. some writing now. Enjoying retirement? I, I enjoy it. I think I'm working as hard as I did uh, <laughs> beforehand. I'm, I'm, I had three books come out in 2022 and working on others now and working heavily in the church. So, yeah, I just I want to I want to wear out instead of rust out. Yes, yeah, good. <laughs> that's, a, that's something that, you know, I, I think that th- this can be applied both to you know, having quote unquote long times of rest, but also people that, you know, when you, you like leave a job or leave work or, or whatever, um, people tend to just want to do nothing. And that, that's how to, that, that's how to just, you know, completely fall off, fall off. Yeah. Right. Sounds terrible to yeah. me. Yeah. Don't, you don't want to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you're, uh, staying busy, especially having done all this stuff in, in your life and you're, can you continue to do stuff? So yeah, props to you. 
By the way, I taught a course called uh, Ethics of Work and Leisure, and I stood up for both of them. Uh, I taught that at Southern, and I'm, I'm mixing that uh, next month, actually. I'm going to go down to uh, do something at a church in uh, Florida, but while I'm down there, I thought, look, I've been to 30 ballparks before uh, in my life. I've never been to a Florida one, so I bought tickets to the Marlins and the and the, and the uh, Rays, and so I'm going to piggyback some R and R on yeah. on some work. So that's a it's a good mix. Well, good. the The main reason that I wanted to have you on this, and that's because um, in one of the previous episodes, uh, Doctor Barnard he mentioned one of the things that he mentioned is that the the only way that he stays out of being nihilistic stays out of of falling into a pit of despair right is knowing that he has a purpose on this on this world right that god has created him um and that you know he tries to embody the virtues of faith hope and love which you know i think are uniquely christian virtues right (laughs) um but in, in some of the feedback that I've gotten from that, uh, one of the questions that I've heard here and there is, you know, what if I agree with Dr. Barnes' assessment that, you know, faith, hope, and love are good things, we should pursue them, and we should try to embody those virtues, right? But I don't necessarily believe in God, or if I don't believe in God, or, or a God, then, you know, I don't believe in the Christian God. Um, so we're going to do a two-part episode. This first one is about the the mere existence of a God, right? Um, and you taught apologetics for a long time, and so I was just you know, want, wanting to get into that. You know, what if I told you, you know, hey, I am. I, most people aren't this, but I am a complete atheist. I believe in no transcendental universe. I believe that you know. The, the universe is as we see it, um, that there is no greater power. There's no spiritual power, right? Um, how would you, how, how would you respond? Yeah. And I appreciate, I heard a bit of Dr. Bernard and I, I, I do appreciate what he said. I do think our default position is to believe in God. I think you have to work pretty hard to be a really grit gritty determined atheist or agnostic that we have a uh, we have a hunger i mean in fact i mean you have the testimony in the heavens and even a sunset it's like wow that that can't just be sheer molecules or something i mean so i think there is a certain sense of wonder a certain longing for god but uh, if you don't have the real god if you don't have god and god in christ then uh, I, I remember there's a guy uh, who he was a Christian psychologist, a very fine one, and he talked about how we work with broken cisterns. You know, if you're in the if you're in the Holy Land, you, you have cisterns. Even up on Masada, that big uh, that big plateau near the the Dead Sea, where they the uh, Israelites took that big stand, they have massive uh, rock caves dug out or rock things, and they capture all the rain they can. But if you have a cracked cistern, it runs out. And and so the Bible even talks about broken cisterns. And so people will say, oh, here's the deal. I'll be uh, 
you know, I'll be a Bears fan or something, and I'll paint my face and go take my shirt off at, at Soldier Field, and and I'll learn everything about the Bears, and I'll do that. And then after a while, that kind of plays out and say, oh, I'll be an epicure. I'll be a food fancier, and I'll visit all the fine restaurants on the North Shore of Chicago. And another say, I'll be a patriot, and, you know, I'll put everything in. And what happens, and, and there are a lot of good things, eating in restaurants and being a Bears fan and, and the like, and yet that's what they make their God. And, and by the way, uh, you have a lot of people who I think make the environment their God. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to recycle and I'm going to fight for against climate change or whatever. Or some will say, oh, I'm going to, you know, do this social justice thing and I'm going to march for this and that and, and the like. And, and what happens is they throw their lives in there and it just shows that they have a sense of emptiness that they have to fill. And so they get their little religion cranked up. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and, and a lot of them can do that all the way through life. And, and I mean, I even think of, I don't know if you remember Jerry Lewis. He was a kind of a comedian and a movie yeah. actor. And he had this telethon. And I forget whether it was muscular dystrophy or something like this. And you had Jerry's kids and this kind of thing. But he was not a believer. But he threw himself so thoroughly into that 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 became his justification for life. So you can you can dig in and determine and and not uh, go nihilistic. And yet again and again, people say, uh, even I tell you with the Bears, I lived up there when Walter Payton was playing and he was a great running back. Finally, they won the Super Bowl. And I think Jim McMahon was a quarterback. And and uh, and so he was playing and he was he was a remarkable sort of guy. But he didn't score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I forget whether it might have been uh, I can't remember, um, but I was I was around about then, and they gave the ball to this massive guy named William Refrigerator Perry, and he bowled it in and scored. And I remember they interviewed Walter after the thing, and he said, "You know, it's not quite as great as I thought it would be." You know, I mean that's a big thing, but you dream for it. Now you've got it. You're kind of like a dog chasing a car all these years, and you finally catch the car. Like, oh, now what do I do? And so people come up kind of empty. Uh, and then they reach that kind of nihilistic point, particularly particularly if life is really hard. I mean, if, they, if they've had a terrible breakup or they've lost a kid to leukemia or, as you say, as a policeman, you have again and again, you're just working in, with the worst of the worst and, and, and without signs of reform or hope in some places. And you just think, well, what's the use? So, yeah, I, I think that you can arrive at that point and and even even uh, where you become suicidal or like what the heck but chances are you've tried different cisterns to catch life water in it yeah. um and yeah at that at that point i mean a lot of people you could i've seen it happen again and again and again they persist all the way through life i have atheist philosopher acquaintances mm-hmm. some of them were my professors at vanderbilt and they can brazen that thing through till they they die that they're going to stand up for human, you know, whatever, whatever. So you can do it, but boy, it takes effort because I think your heart beats for some kind of relationship with the transcendent or something like this. And but their cisterns empty out, and at the point after a while, it's like, well, what the heck, you know? The uh, I have referenced this book a million times in this podcast, uh, but you are what you love. One of the things that he mentions is, you know, humans are made to worship, mm, yeah. right? Um, and that that is what it's one of the things that makes us unique from the rest of creation. That you know, we we actually worship something above us, and you know, yeah. wh- whether that that's 
God or whether that's, you know, other things um, that, you know, that, that can be everything that we talked about your job. It can be the bears, um, your family, you your know, kids. You yeah. Know. And, you know, some of these things are good things, yeah. but it's not God. Right. And so on a personal note, that's how I came to find Christ. It was not some, you know, philosophical takedown hmm. of of an atheist or it wasn't some um you know big long drawn out debate between you know agnostics or atheists and you know and uh muslims and all this it, it was a just a very slow realization that there are good things in the world that i can actively pursue but there there is no utopia right here. Right. We are not going to find it here. Super important to understand. And you can continue to strive for it. You know, you can be the richest person on the world. You can be the, you know, the guy with the biggest muscles or the most attractive woman, but you, you're never going to reach a full satisfaction because this world is ontologically, um, it is, it is, ontologically incomplete and yeah. it will only yeah. become complete <clears throat> when God comes back. Correct. Right. Yeah. By the way, one of the, another book in philosophy is called the open society and its enemies by not a believer named Karl Popper. And he said the most dangerous people on earth are utopians. And he mentions <clears throat> Plato's Republic and he mentions Marxism. He says, because if they think we can get perfection, they will run over you to get there. And they, you know, it's it's like, hey, you're a hindrance, and so we will now kill you. If you're going to make an omelet, you have to break some eggs. And yeah. so when you finally realize, and this is a very important Christian doctrine, the fall, when you kind of realize, you know, until kingdom come, we're going to be, it's going to be messed up. And actually, I think that helps you work as a policeman or an army, army officer or something like that. Uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton. He was a, a Catholic um, journalist and theologian and popular writer. We, we've talked about Chesterton before. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, yeah. he was saying, and, and I think it was Chesterton, in one of the writings, he says, they were telling me all along, oh, it's getting better, it's getting better, you know. Uh, hey, this is the Christian century, uh, you know, the 1900s or something. And, and so it's going to happen now. And then you have all these world wars and the Holocaust and stuff. And he says, they kept telling me it's getting better and better. And he said, man, I don't know. I don't see it. And then he said, and then he read essentially the Bible and said, no, it's messed up. Up and it's not, and he said, and my heart just sang. And he says, yes, finally somebody's told the truth. And so if you think that something's going to be just really wonderful and darling, and, and now, oh no, it, it, what? come on guys, get on board. It's all, it's got to be. But then when you realize the nature of man, then you, it's, it's like more grist for your meal. Like, uh-huh, see there? I mean, we're broken, we're messed up, and we're really, we're hellions in, in a lot of ways without a touch. Yeah, and especially police officers have to confront this every day. Yeah, right? absolutely. You cannot do this job yeah. and say, hey, you know, everybody's great, right? Because yeah, yeah. then you turn around and you arrest people for crazy stuff. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and truly evil stuff. And truly. Like, you yeah. know, it, it makes you question sometimes, you know, like, is this person deserving of of God's love, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, do we, you know, should I show this person grace, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so... 
By the way, I did something on justice back in the 80s. I, it was during the, what was it? It was like McGovern Nixon, and I had a Mennonite friend, and we were arguing back and forth about about justice and this and that. And so when I went to Whedon, uh, I was prompted by other new faculty members to write a book about integration, integrating faith and learning, and I decided I'm going to try to get clear on justice. Everybody keeps throwing that word around, and boy, do we throw it around today with social justice and all this sort of stuff. And I came up with, with a book in 83, and it strikes me that retribution is a big part of biblical justice. I mean, you have eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, wound for burn, stripe for stripe. And there is a, there is a place for mitigation and exoneration and, and so forth. But if you take that bedrock thing out, that man is actually culpable and deserving of some kind of, you know, it's not all just rehab, then uh, you, you miss the deal. So thank God somebody is in charge of of justice um and i'm i'm thankful the police you know like, yes i'm sorry you know your 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 daddy was not there and yes 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 but you shot that guy in the head on the sidewalk i'm sorry you know we're you can you can visit the chaplain in prison or or what have you so i i do think that um there can be satisfaction in in saying look i'm an instrument of god romans 13 1 to 7 you're there is that place too. Um, so yeah, sometimes we get a real simp notion of what Christianity holds, but uh, yeah. personally, yeah. Just just making a side note there. One of the things that, though, that you know, police officers kind of struggle with is that you know, yes, we we do find people doing crime, but we're we're not supposed to be part of their sentence, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it, may, it may be a good thing to arrest X, Y, and Z person for right. doing something bad. Yeah. But um, no, you're not like Robocop on the streets blowing people. Well, yeah, I mean, and then, yeah, like Judge Dredd. You Judge know. Dredd. Yeah, yeah we're, that's you know, good. Yeah, that's we're, we're good not. Thing. We're not that. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, all. All we're supposed to do is, you know, find people committing a crime and, right. and take them to a judge. That's that's literally our. No, I, our I agree with so. that. But I'm I'm saying. You don't just kind of give them a hug and a donut and say, "Now, now cut that out." There's, there's yeah. something that backs you up. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, we were in the national. I was in the National Guard during a fair number of riots and mm -hmm. crazy times in America, and we weren't supposed to go out and execute people. In fact, one of the things we did was, I mean, this is an act of mercy. It says when you've got a big crowd, you don't push them. You know, we had the loose sight. Uh, or whatever they call it, not loose. Yeah, maybe the shields and the like, and, and you don't back them into an alley where they freak out and then they do that, but you try to take them to like a five points corner and so they can disperse. And you read them the riot act, you, you pick up the bullhorn and you say, now guys, this ain't right. You're gonna have to disperse. And then you don't just immediately go, you give them time. And then you take the bullhorn up again. And you take, so it's not as though you're the public executioners, but you're the, you're the peace officer, so to speak. But there is a bottom line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> well, circling back to existence of God. Right. Right. Um, where, what, what would you say are, you know, a couple of, of good arguments in and of themselves for the existence of God. Yeah. You have you know, a couple of things you can talk about. Sure, sure. Yeah, and by the way, I pick, I'm going to pick up on something you said earlier about your own faith. It wasn't as though 
there was some kind of slap down win over some skeptic and, and therefore you said okay and I, I do remember I had a lot of Northwestern students had some Loyola students as well in in my church and it's not as though they were just thinking oh if I just hear a, a more refined version of the ontological argument then I will accept Christ it's largely a matter of will um, it's it's like I just don't want a boss. That's why people I, I want to run my own affair. But yeah, they're they're classic arguments. I mean, not, sometimes they speak of five ways. There are other kinds of ways. But anyway, one of them is I, th- I think the classic one, and even goes back to Plato. is It's called the teleological argument. It's based on the word telos in Greek, which means down the line or the end point, and it just means that there seems to be design or purpose or something going on here. And so you, you can, my, there are different versions, like look how the atmosphere fits us so beautifully in the world's resources and the tip of the earth and the sunlight and, and look at the beautiful operation of the eye and the little baby's ear and I mean, whatever. And so they say, I think there's a designer uh, because there sure seems to be design. It doesn't look random. So that's, that's a classic one. And there are different versions of that. One is called the cosmological argument. And there are versions of that, but one one says, look, everything seems to have a cause. And the, why does the leaf fall to the ground? Well, because at a certain time of the year, then some of the connectors are closed off. Well, why does that happen? Because of the cold and the this and the that, and you you trace it back. And finally you say, there's this, there's got to be a first cause. There's got to be something that got this going. And then the others say, at any given moment, you have to have something sustaining. It just doesn't float by itself. So that's the cosmological argument. The ontological, <laughs> ontological argument is, 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 is some, some people think it sounds like wordplay. You say, okay, think of the greatest being, uh, the being than which no greater can be conceived. Think of the highest possible being. Okay, now, did you think of him as existing? Uh, well, not necessarily. I was just imagining, well, then that's not the greatest possible being because uh, he exists if he's great. And so the greatest possible being must exist or he wouldn't be. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. So they, they've worked with that in a variety of ways. Uh, there is an aesthetic argument. I, I did a book in 2022 called Apologetical Aesthetics. And some of my doctoral students in that area did some work here. And, and basically you're saying, Darwin can't explain the appreciation of beauty. Uh, you know, he might can explain in his fancy pants way how in the world we got an extra appendage or how we did this or that. But it doesn't seem that aesthetic appreciation has great survival value. I, I was teaching on the south side of Chicago. It's a pretty tough area down in this in this place where the church was located. And I said, well, look, you you grew up around here. And it was, it was kind of a tough area. I mean, you had all this concertina wire with plastic, uh, you know, uh, what I'm saying, grocery bags flopping in the wind, and you have mangy dogs and boarded up windows and crumbling curbs and potholes. And, and I said, now, some people say, oh, you just appreciate what you grow up around with. You're habituated to that. But I said, how many of you would rather live here or on the North Shore of Chicago with these big lawns and great trees overlooking Lake Michigan and the breezes and everything well manicured. Boy, they jump for that immediately. And so why is it that you appreciate that? Uh, and some will say, well, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just uh, psychological psychologically. Or, and there are yeah. studies that say we appreciate blue, um, blue landscapes because of the, the water and the, this, your greater survivability. But then I thought, wait a second. 
I was over in the Negev Desert at a place called Wadi Rum, which is, it means kind of Roman uh, wash, and this, and it was the most deadly place I've been, I think. I haven't been at the top of Everest, but it was so hot, you would burn through your sandals, and there's red sand and, and uh, tough granite jutting out, and if it weren't for tents, you couldn't even survive there, but we did our little tour bus thing. But I thought, this is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. In fact, Matt Damon made a movie about Mars, and he they filmed part of it there. And he said, this is so beautiful. Like, how does Darwin explain that? This is a place with no survival value. It'll kill you, and yet you're, you're enthralled by it. And so, again, that's called the aesthetic argument. Others have made it that they... They can't explain that sort of thing. There's the moral argument. I mean, C.S. Lewis um, picked up on this. There seems to be a, a there seems to be a law, an internal law. Romans two fourteen and fifteen says that the law of God's written on our heart with our conscience, excusing us or accusing us. Some people talk about a yoke value, or even taboos that are in every culture. The incest taboo, like. You know whether you're going to the New Hebrides or the Hebrides, or whether you're going to or the New Hebrides, or whether you're going to, you know, a Tibetan mountain valley. If they start pushing, date your sister. It's like a Jeff Foxworthy joke. You may be a redneck if you yeah. go to family reunion and or, or something. Or cannibalism or, or something. Yeah, 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 some of that stuff. It's like a yuck factor. Where does that come from? And he says even in prisons. Uh, with hardened criminals, they give excuses for this. Like, well, I didn't know such and such, or, well, I was raised this way, or whatever, whatever, or I didn't. And the fact that you give excuses shows that you have a moral sense of, of being accountable. And so he says if there's a moral law, which we recognize by our behavior, then there's got to be a moral lawgiver, and so you've got that sort of thing. So there, there are a variety of uh, approaches. I mean, you have cultural apologetics that just say, uh, uh, look, I mean, we're, look, I, I'll give you one example. I actually, I wrote a book called Moral Apologetics. So <laughs> anyway. You've written a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just busy. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, you just, I, when I was with my in-laws one Christmas, I was reading USA Today, and I think it was one week before Christmas or one week before the end of the year. And in it, they said, okay, we've listed various causes through the year, but now that you're doing your taxes at the end of the year and you want to make contributions, we're going to give you 10 charities that, you think, that we think deserve it. And so uh, they listed the 10, and I looked them up. I didn't know the background for most of them, and I think seven of the 10 were founded by avowed Christians. And, and USA Today is not like Moody Monthly or something like yeah. this, you know. And it was everything from S Susan Common Run for the Cure or Coleman Run for the Cure, uh, Boys Club, Girls Club, Ducks Unlimited, Special Olympics, it's just going down the list. And and it was it's like, what is it with these Christians that they they are and, – and here's what, Samaritan's Purse has already landed planes out on Maui. We're just there, and you think, what is it about these people? They must be plugged in to something wonderful, and so that's moral apologetics. Yeah, or I mean, look down the street, the uh, the largest hospital in Memphis is like the Methodist, something yeah. or another, um, and that's not uncommon. Um, I no, think, of course you not. You know, there's all kinds yeah. of cities where the, like, the largest hospital is, uh, is Absolutely. a Christian. Over in our neck of the woods, they have a pretty big Catholic um, hospital network. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's... I, I think that, you know, there is, I think people 
they they look for the the crucifix mm-hmm. of something. They mm-hmm. look for that little tiny, um, you know this this is what I'm looking for. And then I'm gonna, you know, become a Christian, right? Like you yeah. mentioned at the very beginning, yeah. um, that, and I, I hate to say it, but most of the evidence that you know we have for God is not just—it's not like we have on video God the Father saying to the world, "I am God the Father." Yeah, right. Now we do have God the Son, you know, in in, in the Bible, but we don't have like an actual video, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we continue to search for that right we continue to look for uh, you know try, trying to put meaning to the universe trying to figure out you know if there's a god or not and this and the other and um i i think that you know especially as as police officers where you know we're constantly confronted with the the visceral reality of of evil yeah right right like it's not just uh, one of the things that I've brought up before is that not only do we see evil, like, you know, anyone can go watch a police officer's body camera. We touch it. Mm-hmm. We smell it. Mm-hmm. On a really bad day, we taste it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're, you know, in the flesh, in it, right? And I think that if you don't have an understanding of the universe that includes God, then you look around, I mean, which you're surrounded with, and you think that you know why? Why do I even do this job? Yeah. You know, and so I think that you know it is only with Christ yeah. that we're going to be able to do this for a long term. Yeah. You know, get our pension. No, it's yeah, that's that's right. And by the way, I, I taught philosophy of science at Wheaton, and one day we had a guy who wrote one of our textbooks out from the University of Illinois Chicago Circle and very fine writer in philosophy and he as he spoke to our class he said you know I wanted to be a doctor I was planning I was taking organic and all the pre-med stuff and then he said one day he woke up and realized he's gonna have to spend his whole life working with sick people you know he's like yikes who wants that well I mean police spend their lives working with messed up people quite a bit I mean you also you also find honorable people and helpful people and so forth but it's it is just tough and it really does help to have a framework look I've talked about proofs for God's existence you know if you'll just follow along it'll make sense but there's another kind of apologetic we do where then they attack us and it's called the problem of evil you know the question is how come there's so much evil sometimes it gets down to this if god's totally in control why did he let that little fawn in maui or california get caught in the barbed wire and burned to death in the wildfire like if you're god you could free the fawn and let him run run away or why is my eight-year-old daughter dying of leukemia when I've been a good guy? And and so there are answers to that as well. Why did that you know dad of four lock his kids in yes. you know, a trailer and set the trailer on fire? Yes, yes, you know. terrible stuff. And you read it every morning in the news. How in the world does this happen? And there are answers to that. I mean, one is called uh, the free will defense, that God gives us the freedom to do good or bad and so if he gives us freedom we're not just you know little automata or stepford wives or something like that then we can go off and do bad stuff and if he stops us short every time we're about to do something bad 
that's a whole different kind of world. Another approach is, I mean, there, there are numbers, but one's called the soul-making theodicy, that, that it's, you don't make a diamond without heat and, and pressure. You don't take, you know, you don't wear a wedding ring with just a piece of carbon on it, but you have to have this stuff. And God's not making mushrooms uh, when he's making his children, and so he refines us in the fire of just a infernal sort of world in many ways. Anyway, uh, we talk about that as well. And that's the thing that hits hits police so much. Um, in, in fact, it hits military guys. I mean, I've known people who came out of Vietnam or even short-term duty in, in Haiti or in Bosnia, and they're just, uh, they have post-traumatic stress <laughs> syndrome and so forth. Or are they just, they're, I was just reading, I think it was Tinker Air Force Base, I think it's in Oklahoma, that they've in the last year had 17 deaths that were like, what's going on there? And they think a fair number of suicides. So people are, are broken or scared or horrified or despairing or something. And, and it's, that's the world we're in. And so it is amazing how you have the wherewithal. Some people have the wherewithal. To just say God's on His throne, I'm going with Him, and I'm not expecting utopia, but we're going to work with what we've got. And by the way, look at the splendor of what people do as they cope with this. Yeah, that's uh, one thing that we had a different guest talk about. Um, he he's said that he has uh, what's called the spiritual gift of plotting. What that means for him is the ability to just do something yeah. for a long time and not look for, you know, he's not looking for the next goal or the next um, next promotion or next whatever. Yeah. He just wants to follow the area that God's put him in. That's great. And yeah. it doesn't, he's not looking to you know, gain honor or gain accolades for it. Just you know, stay in his lane yeah. and continue to, to do that. And I, I think that, you know, there is, the more I have thought about that, you know, the more I've, I've seen that there's real virtue in that, mm-hmm. right? That to not be concerned with the next thing I and mean, just understand that you're in the situation that you're in at that moment. And then, you know, if God gives you promotion, great. Mm-hmm. If God doesn't give you a promotion, that's fine. Yeah. And so as long as you continue to glorify God, um, to, you know, follow him, you preach, I'll turn the pages. That makes yeah. perfectly good sense yeah. to me. I mean, I, I do think that we are so eaten up with careerism. By the way, if you do a concordance study of the Bible, in the Bible, you don't have a big thing about career, you know. It's, it's, it's not like uh, Paul is called to Macedonia, and he says, well, you know, do you have dental, you know, uh, or, well, are the schools good, you know, something like this. You, there is something about just being flat out. It says Abraham got up, God said get up and go, and he didn't even tell him where he was going. He just said head that direction. And and I was reading Hebrews the Hall of Fame yesterday and how he just went up, got up, and went. And I do think that people eat themselves up. By the way, you see people who talk about, oh, you know, I was he destroyed me. You know, I was 23 and he did this and that. Or And it's like, wow, they're deep. They're sensitive. And you're like, hey, you know, just – Put a sock in it. Get get on with life. I mean, I beg your pardon. We didn't. He didn't promise you a rose garden. And I don't mean to be brutal about this, but today we are so easily triggered, and we need safe spaces, and we need to be sure that we've got a 
a ladder up, you know, we can break ceilings and, and, you know, build our career. And like, what in the world? Here's Paul saying, I've just learned to live in whatever state I'm in to be content. You know, I, I got crosswise with some trustees, um, oh, what is it, 25 years ago. And uh, it, it was, it just kind of blew up. I was chewing f- folks out. I, ha- I was doing a little army when you don't do army in a ter- church setting. And, uh, and so anyway, I was, I was fired and I, uh, God's been so great. And they've actually had me back named the library for me, but still at the moment <laughs> it was an acquired taste. But the thing is, I thought, okay, I, I'm not going to eat worms and die. I'll just, what's the next thing? Well, I need to write some of my old teachers and thank them or, Somebody calls, so could you do this? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And you, you put one. He puts something on your plate every day. And you say, thank you, Lord. I got this, and I'll do this today. And then let him do the lifting. Let him take you down. And by the way, what a mercy it is sometimes when he takes you down a notch. Uh, you know, Hebrews also says those he loves, he disciplines. And maybe you're off. Or I've, I've had, like, I had a terrible, terrible disappointment uh, when I came out of Vanderbilt with a PhD, there were no jobs, and certainly no jobs in Southern Baptist colleges where my daddy taught. I, I wrote 20 of them. None of them had a job. So uh, I was just kind of dashed. But then finally, there was a school in North Carolina. It was Lutheran, and it, maybe that's the one. And I went and interviewed, and it didn't work out. And so, well, you know, I'll, I'll just grump down and just doubt God. What one thing led to another and to another, and it's like, thank God I didn't go to that school. And and also over, over getting fired, like, thank God I got fired, because then I got to do this thing, and I went to Chicago, and then I went to Southern, and I, I got a... We're, I, I got to work with the retired CEO of American Standard Corporation on a website out of New York, and I found myself in all kinds of conferences and meetings in Vienna and Jerusalem and you name it, and, and 40 trips to New York. And it's like, you know, after a while you kind of think, maybe there's someone in charge. And then I, I heard once about a Moody Bible Institute student who was threatened because it was a tough neighborhood back in the day. And it's now it's kind of upscale, of course. But uh, I read this in Newsweek. Somebody pulled a knife on a, a Moody student on, in that area. And he said, what, are you threatening me with heaven? And so, you know, if, if, if it blows up, then that, it's really a whole different perspective. Yeah, I've got a family member who um, – Long story short, my family member has a pretty has multiple debilitating mm. you know, chronic illnesses. Right, and you know when she got the diagnoses and was feeling the symptoms, you know there, there's two options here, right? It either just give in, stay in bed, don't do anything, five years you die, right? Uh, unfortunately, if you, if you if you do that with those kind of diseases, that's what happens. The other option is put one foot in front of the other, absolutely, and not think about the things around you. And just move forward. And now she, you know, does conferences in different countries, and yeah. uh, you know, does all kinds of crazy stuff. And you know, that she would have never imagined if she didn't have all these absolutely diseases, right. Absolutely, um, because part of what she does talks about stuff like this, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but along those lines, I uh, so I I came directly from college into police work. I hadn't really done anything. hadn't been out in the world. hadn't seen anything. And I cannot stress how much though that first year of police teaches you not about 
academics and how to add two plus two and and you know how to be good in a classroom but just how the real world works yeah, right yeah. uh when you first get out and start you know doing stuff on your own you have your own cases and arrest your own people and put your real handcuffs on real people and you know use your real taser on people and use your real pepper spray on people and all this stuff right, right. um you whenever you're in a situation um a really good example of this is a dui arrest because okay. you have to do all kinds of different stuff with the dui arrest you have to make the stop you have to get out with a person you have to do you know, tests that they're going to do them you have to make the arrest then you have to write a search warrant for their blood and take the blood get the blood sent off all kinds of craziness yeah. right yeah. um it's a lot of paperwork and especially as a young officer it's easy to get bogged down because you sit there and you're like i have all these things i have to do in order to get this thing done uh, i had a good i had a really good fto i've referenced him once before i'm gonna reference him again Whenever I, whenever I had that feeling, when I was like, yeah. Now, what's an FTO? You know, Help me. Oh, a field training officer. <laughs> okay. Um, when you, a lot of agencies, when you get out of an academy, you go ride with a field training officer. Yeah, um, yeah. And then he just teaches you how to actually do the job. Right. right? Um, and so one of the things that he said is, how do you eat a crap sandwich? One bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's it's not fun, yeah. but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're here, and it is what it is. Yeah. And you know, you you can complain about it, you can despair about it, or you can put one foot in front of the other and do it. Now, the I can already hear someone who um, has maybe a stoic argument coming at, at that and saying, you know, that's what I believe, right? block everything out in the rest of the world just focus on what you know stay in your lane whatever all the rest of the world shouldn't matter well that's that's kind of true mm-hmm. <laughs> right that's you know you you do want to stay in your lane like we we're talking about you know the good thing of you know plotting right just continue to move forward but also realizing that there is a moral compass in the universe there are bad things that happen and we and it, i think it's only with god that we can stare that in the face yeah right yeah we, if you stare that in the face and you don't have an understanding of of, of the universe with god in it once again despair you're going to start right. you know, going back down to that what's right? the use what's the point yeah. exactly um but if if we do have an understanding of the world with god then not only can we stay where we are but you know we can look at the rest of the world and say, you know, this, this is an evil thing, but right. th- this universe is not complete. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it occurs to me when we're talking about coming in and being the, the tough guy or something. And, 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 and of course it could be very extenuated where you're going through all the paperwork for the DUI. But I, I remember we kept hearing, I, I went into essentially the officer corps and in infantry school during the Vietnam war and so a lot of the talk, and it was celebrated by the media, and they got a lot of, you know, a lot of attention. The march on the Washington, the Pentagon, and and where they're sticking flowers in the ends of gun barrels at the Pentagon, and and uh, they said, "Oh, you're baby killers, you know, you're napalming, you're this and that." And so the question they were treating us as though we were being trained to kill. And I thought, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm firing a 50 cal or I'm, I'm firing a 105. I mean, just for familiarization and training. And so we're learning to do marksmanship with the M14s and M16s and the like. And so 
Um, I guess, yeah, I get, but say, like, wait, I know how to kill. I mean, I, I, I had a little 22 and I could plunk cans and I figure you put it at a head, you could kill somebody and you could drive over somebody and you know, kill people. What I learned in the army was how to die because they ask us to do all kinds of unnatural things. I mean, if you have a machine gun up in a tree line and he opens up on you, then you have various things you do like fire and maneuver or fire and, you know, fire and movement. And one guy gets up and rushes while the other covers and other rushes. Or you try to get the tree line and go around and then they, well, wait a second. Uh, wouldn't you like want to run away if somebody's shooting you know, a machine gun? And I think a lot of people don't know that the thing that is really contrary to our natural tendencies, I suppose, is to to go to the sound of the guns or to go to the danger. And for someone to go into harm's way, that's what you have to learn. And so instead of run away, run away, it's like, hey, there's an incident, there's a domestic incident on Maple Street, saddle up. And like, whoa, things go crazy. So I think there's a great honor in that. But if if you think God is sovereign then you think anything on your plate each day is is something that he's in charge of, he's aware of, and he's allowing it to happen or he's initiating it. And even it says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so you think, I'm not out here just making it up or being blown back and forth by the winds of fate, but my sovereign God knows exactly where I am. And he gave me that today. Um, you know, some people think, oh, I need to do something grand today. And he says, no, look, I mean, we got so many people who won't do something, who won't do little things. Like, I, it's beneath me to work at McDonald's and be the fry chef or something like that. I need to be a community organizer and stuff like that. No, this family has driven, they have limited money. They're going to see relatives. They come in. They need some fries that work. Would you please and be pleasant? At, I mean, how hard would it be to to be friendlier, if you're captivated with some of their tasks, to just turn to them and say, be with you in a minute. You know, just a smile. It can just make that family's day. And yet you spit on that as something very, very low. And say, no, no, treasure what, what you've got. Yeah, the, uh, my first time that I, you know, outside of, of family chores and stuff, right. first time I, I did real work um, was we had this guy at our church who had um, this landscaping company and I was going to go on a mission trip and uh, I needed to save money to yeah. go on the mission trip. Yeah. So I went and I worked for him for a couple of days. Um, landscaping, hard, long, Southeast, uh, July, hot, doing mulching <laughs> all day. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that I, you know, it was over three days. But I will never, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that because that was the the first time that I'm, I'm actually doing something with my body yeah. that is, that is, you know, it, it's a good thing to do this. Right. Um, and that's translated in even the, you know, the work I do now, I, I coming out of school, I didn't want to be stuck in an office. You yeah. know, I wanted to, to do something with my yeah. hands, yeah. interact with the world and not just, you know, sit behind a desk. And, you know, I, I think that um, you having been in, you know, the Army Reserves has, you know, really helped you out with the rest of the of the other stuff you've done, yeah, right, yeah. In, in, in the classroom and in your, your studies, right? Yeah, and I mean, part of it is just 
putting putting yourself out on the end of the comfort zone. I, I I remember very vividly we had Ranger Week at Fort Benning, and we were out for a week walking in the in the boonies with everything we needed for the week on our backs. I mean, little food and this and that. And we had we walked through a lightning storm one night, and then we just plopped down in the mud, and with the lightning flashing, and we're soaked to the bone and freezing. I thought, you know, I can just. I can say we have guys who, who I was in charge of the extensions and we would send guys out to 11 places and I would look at their little reports or expense reports and some guys would be really tough campers out there. They would go to a, uh, you know, to like a hostel or something like that and stay and, and be frugal and others would insist on f- flying if not first class at least in such a way that we'll spend more to get their points and and uh, they they and one guy I, I, in Jackson I was teaching in Jackson I, I mean for Southern they had mm-hmm. the thing and I, I found some hotel on the west on the east side of town and went in and I, I, I don't know let's just say it was La Quinta or something I can't remember and I recommended to one of the teachers going out. I said, "Hey, man, you know that that was a good spot." And he said, uh, "You know, I don't want to sleep with a gun under my pillow." And so he went to a place that was like, I don't know, sixty dollars more. And I thought, "Gun under your pillow after you slept on the ground in a lightning storm and and so forth, and you know God's on His throne. Why are you so precious and tender?" I, I will I will say this: this you talk about your first days. I had I had a couple of days as a policeman in Evanston, when you come there, they want to orient you to the police work in town if you're a new, so I was a pastor. And I think 25 of us went through a course and I think it was eight nights, Tuesday nights, two hours each. And so one night is is a reaction. They had big screens and we had laser and we're supposed to react to a guy acting hinky, you know, what are you shooting? One night was gang night and we learned we had the gangster disciples, the Black Peacestone Nation, the Latin Kings, and the Vice Lords, and so the markings and all that kind of stuff. And another night was a ride around with with a policeman, and we show up at like eleven and ride till three. And you better stay in the car, you know, but just watch. And in that little four-hour window, we pulled this gal wandering around in a rough part of town just aimlessly and it turns out they had a bench warrant for her out in the west suburbs they checked her in they took the drawstrings out of her sweatpants because she could harm herself you know and she was looking for drugs then somebody was messing around in a garage and we ended up going 80 miles an hour on a city street around and i thought this is exciting but to go out in the night and poke around and you don't know what's in there and it was just one thing after another, and I thought, "Wowzer, this is, this would be something to do every night." Yeah. And so, yeah, it's thank God those are those are the tough yeah. tough guys. It's, it's crazy land out there. It's crazy land. Yeah. yeah. Mark, including this first episode, do you have anything you'd like to leave us with? And once again, this we touched on the existence of God Himself, but is there anything you want to leave us with? Well, I'm I'm grateful for the Reformation in that Martin Luther push back against the notion notion that they're sacred and secular vocations. And he said they're all sacred. And that and I'm not saying that Catholics don't understand this as well, but in the setting was and he was saying something like he's quoted to say there's more virtue in a German housewife than all the nuns of Europe. And the point was, you know, you think, oh well, he's doing something holy for the Lord. He got called to the ministry. Uh, now that guy's just a bus driver, on, you know, in Chicago on Sheridan or something, or he he's just an insurance salesman, or he's just a homemaker. And God says, "What are you talking about? 
When I called him to be a bus driver, do you realize how many lives are in his hand? Do you realize what, and, and his manner, his safety and all that? Those are my treasure. What are you saying that's not holy? This man is, is like at an accident scene and he's, or he's at a construction site or he's going to a domestic disturbance and you're saying that's not important? I will say, I will say one other thing too. Just in terms of apologetics, I think there's also another problem in the ministry today, and I call it ingratiationism. And it's the notion that the power is not really the gospel, like opening Lydia's heart, you know, as it is in the New Testament. The power is in our charm and ingratiating ourselves to them and dis- disarming them and not getting too far ahead of them. Or our, you know, our, our real power is, is in some kind of acclaim or we, we can fill an auditorium or something like that. But to realize it's the small study stuff. Look, don't worry about your big flash ministry. Don't worry about multiple congregations. Don't worry about your blog deal, your brand, your stuff like that. If that, if that happens, okay, fine. You just preach the word of God. You give the simple word of God and let me go to work in light of the word and I'm going to do heart surgery. It's not as though we're going to bring in the MIT guys and the Harvard guys. We're going to argue them into the kingdom. It's a heart matter. And so that's simple plotting. So you can say, you may be at a little bitty church in, you know, No Hope Baptist Church in little bitty whatever. You just stand in the pulpit that day and you do your thing faithfully. Let me take care of the rest, which fits your plotting thing. Amen. All right, well, Mark, thank you uh, for the first episode and uh, excited to have you on for the second one. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email remainingsanepodcasts at gmail.com. Also, please remember to subscribe, leave a review. That always helps. You can also find us on Twitter at remainingsanepc. Have a blessed rest of your day.